0: Chapter 10 of Nan Sherwood at Pine Camp. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Andress. Nan Sherwood at Pine Camp by Annie Rowe Carr. Chapter 10 Jedney Raffer. It was fortunate for Nan Sherwood that, on the day of parting with her parents, she had so much to do, and that there was so much to see, and so many new things of which to think. She had never travelled to Chicago before, nor far from Tilbury at all. Even the chair-car was new to the girl's experience, and she found it vastly entertaining to sit at a broad window with her uncle in the opposite chair, gazing out upon the snowy landscape as the train hurried over the prairie. She had a certain feeling that her uncle Henry was an anomaly in the chair-car, his huge bearskin coat and the rough clothing under it, his felt boots with the rubber soles and feet, the fact that he wore no linen and only a string tie under the collar of his flannel shirt, his great bronzed hands and blunted fingers, with their broken nails, all these things set him apart from the other men who rode in the car. Papa Sherwood paid much attention to the niceties of dress, despite the fact that his work at the Atwater Mills had called for overalls and frequently oily hands. Uncle Henry evidently knew little about stiff collars, and laundered cuffs, or cravats, smart boots, bosom shirts, or other dainty wear for men. He was quite innocent of giving any offense to the eye, however. Lying back in the comfortable chair, with his coat off and his great lumberman's boots crossed, he laughed at anything Nan said, that chanced to be at the least bit amusing, until the gas-globes rang again. It seemed to Nan as though there never was such a huge man before. She doubted if Goliath could have looked so big to young David when the shepherd boy went out with his sling to meet the giant. Uncle Henry was six feet four inches in height and broad in proportion. The chair creaked under his weight when he moved. Other people in the car gazed on the quite unconscious giant, as wonderingly as did Nan herself. "'Uncle Henry,' she asked him once, "'are all the men in the big woods as tall as you are?' "'Goodness me, no, child,' he chuckled. "'But the woods don't breed many runts, that's a fact. "'There's some bigger than I am. "'Long Sam Dorgan is near seven feet. "'He isn't quite sure, for he's so ticklish that you can't never measure him.' "'And Uncle Henry's chuckle burst into a full-fledged laugh. "'He's just as graceful as a length of shingle-lathing, too, "'and freckles and liver spots on his hands and face. "'Well, he's certain sure is a handsome creature.' He went to town once and stayed overnight, wasn't any bed long enough at the hotel, and Sam had got considerably under the weather anyhow from foolin' with hard cider, so he wasn't particular about where he bedded down, and they put him to sleep in the horse trough. "'The horse trough?' gasped Nan. "'Yes, it was pretty dry when Sam went to bed, but right early in the morning a sleepy hostler stumbled out to the trough and began to pump water into it for the cattle maybe long sam needed a bath but not just that way he rose up with a yell like a choctaw indian said he was just dreamin' of going through the sault st marie in a barrel and he reckoned the barrel burst open nan was much amused by this story as she was by others that the old lumberman related he was full of dry sayings and his speech had many queer twists to it. His bluff, honest way delighted the girl, although he was so different from Papa Sherwood. As Momsie had said, Uncle Henry's body had to be big to contain his heart. One can excuse much that is rough in a character so lovable as that of Uncle Henry's. The snow increased as the train sped on, and the darkness gradually thickened. Uncle Henry took his niece into the dining-car where they had supper, with a black man with shiny eyes and very white teeth, who seemed always, on the broad grin, to wait upon them. Nan made a mental note to write Bess Harley all about the meal and the service, for Bess was always interested in anything that seemed aristocratic, and, to the unsophisticated girl from Tilbury, the style of the dining-car seemed really luxurious." When the train rolled into the Chicago station, it was not yet late, but it seemed to Nan as though they had ridden miles and miles through lighted streets hedged on either side with brick houses. The snow was still falling, but it looked sooty and gray here in the city. Nan began to feel some depression, and to remember more keenly that Momsy and Papa Sherwood were flying easterly just as fast as an express train could take them. It was cold, too. A keen, penetrating wind seemed to search through the streets. Uncle Henry said it came from the lake. He beckoned to a taxicab driver, and Nan's trunk was found and strapped upon the roof. Then off they went to the hotel, where Uncle Henry always stopped when he came to Chicago, and where his own bag was checked. Looking through the cab windows, the girl began to take an immediate interest in life again so many people despite the storm, so many vehicles tangled up at the corners and waiting for the big policeman to let them by in front of the clanging cars. Bustle, hurry, noise, confusion. "'Some different from your Tilbury,' drawled Uncle Henry, "'and just as different from pine camp as chalk is from cheese.' "'But so interesting,' breathed Nan with a sigh." "'Doesn't it ever get to be bedtime for children in the city?' "'Not for those kids,' grumbled Uncle Henry. "'Poor creatures. They sell papers, or flowers, or matches, or what-not, all evening long. And stores keep open, and hotel bars, and drug shops, besides theaters and the like. There's a big motion-picture place. I went there once. It beats any show that ever came to Hobart Forks.' "'Now I tell you.' "'Oh, we have motion-picture shows at Tilbury. "'We have had them in the school hall, too,' said Nan complacently. "'But, of course, I'd like to see all the people and the lights, and so forth. "'It looks very interesting in the city. "'But the snow is dirty, Uncle Henry.' "'Yes, and most everything else is dirty when you get into these brick-and-mortar tunnels. "'That's what I call the streets.' The air even isn't clean, went on the lumberman. Give me the woods, and a fresh wind blowing, and the world looks good to me. And then his voice and face fell, as he added, except in that snake-in-the-grass, Jed Rifer. That man must make you a lot of trouble, Uncle Henry, said Nan sympathetically. He does, growled the lumberman. He's a miserable, fox-faced scoundrel. And I've no more use for him than I have for an egg-sucking dog. That's the way I feel about it. They reached the hotel just then, and Uncle Henry's flare of passion was quenched. The hostelry he patronized was not a new hotel, but it was a very good one, and Anne's heart beat high as she followed the porter inside, with Uncle Henry directing the taxicab driver and a second porter. HOW TO DISPOSE OF THE TRUNK FOR THE NIGHT. Nan had her bag in which were her night clothes, toilet articles, and other necessities. The porter carried this for her, and seated her on a comfortable lounge at one side, while Uncle Henry arranged about the rooms. To do honor to his pretty niece, the lumberman engaged much better quarters than he would have chosen for himself. When they went up to the rooms, Nan found a pretty little bath opening out of hers, and the maid came and asked if she could be of any help. The girl began to feel quite grown up. It was all very wonderful, and she loved Uncle Henry for making things so pleasant for her. She had to run to his door and tell him this, before she undressed. He had pulled off his boots and was tramping up and down the carpeted floor in his thick woolen socks, humming to himself. "'Taking a constitutional, Nan,' he declared haven't had any exercise for this big body of mine all day sitting in that car has made me as cramped as a bear just crawling out of his den in the spring he did not tell her that had he been alone he would have gone out and tramped the snowy streets for half the night but he would not leave her alone in the hotel no sir said uncle henry robert would never forgive me if anything happened to his honey bird and fire or something might break out here while i was gone he said nothing like this to nan however but kissed her good-night and told her she would always bid him good-night in just that way as long as she was at pine camp kate and i have never had a little girl said the big lumberman and boys get over the kissing stage mighty early i find kate and i always did hanker for a girl "'If you owned a really, truly daughter of your own, Uncle Henry, I believe you'd spoil her to death,' cried Nan the next morning, when she came out of the fur shop to which he had taken her. He had insisted that she was not dressed warmly enough for the woods. "'We see forty and forty-five below up there sometimes,' he said. "'You think this raw wind is cold. It is nothing to a black frost in the big woods.' "'Trees burst as if there were dynamite in them. "'You've never seen the like. "'Of course, the back of winter's about broken now. "'But we may have some cold snaps yet. "'Anyhow, you look warmer than you did.' "'And that was true, for Nan was dressed like a little Eskimo. "'Her coat had a pointed hood to it. "'She wore high fur boots, the fur outside.' Her mittens of seal were buttoned to the sleeves of her coat, and she could thrust her hands with ordinary gloves on them right into these warm receptacles. Nan thought they were wonderfully served at the hotel where they stopped, and she liked the maid on her corridor very much, and the boy who brought the ice-water, too. There really was so much to tell Bess that she began to keep a diary in a little blank book she bought for that purpose then the most wonderful thing of all was the message from papa sherwood which arrived just before she and uncle henry left the hotel for the train it was a night letter sent from buffalo and told her that momsey was all right and that they both sent love and would telegraph once more before their steamship left the dock at new york nan and uncle henry drove through the snowy streets to another station and took the evening train north. They traveled at first by the Milwaukee Division of the Chicago and Northwestern Railroad, and now another new experience came Nan's way. Uncle Henry had secured a section in the sleeping car, and each had a berth. It was just like being put to sleep on a shelf, Nan declared, when the porter made up the beds at nine o'clock. She climbed into the upper berth a little later, sure that she would not sleep, and intending to look out of the narrow window to watch the snowy landscape fly by all night. And much to her surprise, only the surprise came in the morning. She fell fast asleep, almost immediately, lulled by the rocking of the huge car on its springs, and did not arouse until seven o'clock, and the car stood on the siding in the big Wisconsin city. They hurried to get a northern-bound train and were soon off on what Uncle Henry called the longest lap of their journey. The train swept them up the line of Lake Michigan, sometimes within sight of the shore, often along the edge of estuaries, particularly following the contour of Green Bay, and then into the wilderness of Upper Wisconsin and the Michigan Peninsula. On the Peninsula Division of the C.N.N.W., They did not travel as fast as they had been running, and before Hobart Forks was announced on the last local train they traveled in, Nan Sherwood certainly was tired of riding by rail. The station was in Marquette County, near the schoolcraft line. Pine Camp was twenty miles deeper in the wilderness. It seemed to Nan that she had been traveling through forests, or the barren stumpage where forests had been, for weeks. Here's where we get off, little girl, Uncle Henry said, as he seized his big bag and her little one and made for the door of the car. Nan ran after him in her fur clothing. She had found before this that he was right about the cold. It was an entirely different atmosphere up here in the big woods from Tilbury or even Chicago. The train creaked to a stop. They leapt down upon the snowy platform only a plain station big freight-house and a company of roughly dressed men to meet them behind the station a number of sleighs and sledges stood their impatient horses shaking the innumerable bells they wore nan stumbling off the car step behind her uncle came near to colliding with a small man in a patched coat and cowhide boots and with a rope tied about his waist as some teamster's effect. He mumbled something in anger, and Nan turned to look at him. He wore sparse, sandy whiskers, now fast-turning gray. The outthrust of the lower part of his face was as sharp as that of a fox, and he really looked like a fox. She was sure of his identity, before Uncle Henry wheeled and, seeing the man, said, "'What's that you were saying, Jed Raffer?' This is my niece, and if you lay your tongue to her name, I'll give you something to go to law about in a hurry. Come, Nan, don't let that man touch so much as your coat-sleeve. He's like pitch. You can't be near him without some of his meanness sticking to you. End of Chapter 10